0: Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to look at verse 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In the previous messages this month, we have covered the different pieces of armor that God has given the believer, the weapons that God has given the believer, who our real enemy is, the different attacks the enemy uses, and how to be victorious in spiritual warfare. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse three. Let's look what the Holy Ghost says to the Apostle Paul. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The Greek word for warfare here is taken from the Greek word stratos, which is where we get our word strategy. It comes from the word where we get our word strategy. This lets us know that spiritual warfare is not something that just happens. It is something that is strategically planned. So, you don't accidentally have effective spiritual warfare. Satan doesn't accidentally attack you. You don't accidentally win. There has to be a strategy. We previously previously examined the only five strategies Satan has. Jesus revealed them to us in Mark chapter 4. Yes, the enemy has a strategy, but God has a much better one. Look at your neighbor and say, God has a strategy. There is a strategy for our individual lives. But there's also a strategy for what God has for us to do here at faith. There's an individual strategy for our life, but there's also a strategy of what God has for us as a faith family. So once a year, we take time to go over the vision and what God has called us to do as a faith family. We're told to write the vision and make it plain that those who read it may run with it. And so the only way you can keep it in your mind is if you go over it every once in a while. We put it in our bulletin so you can see it, but we preach it every year so you know why God has brought us together. He didn't just bring us together just to have church and go home, he brought us here together for a mission. So part of the message today is we're gonna talk about the strategy of faith, our strategy here at Faith, and why we do what we do. Our mission statement is to make Jesus famous by being a blessing to neighborhoods and nations. Now, why do we use the phrase, make Jesus famous? Go to John 16, John 16, verse 12, to make Jesus famous by being a blessing to neighborhoods and nations. Jesus says in verse 12 of chapter 16, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me. One of the chief purposes of the ministry of the Holy Ghost is to glorify Jesus. How many of you can see that? Amen. The word glorify means to render glorious, to honor, to magnify, or to make famous. The Holy Spirit was sent to make Jesus famous. Psalm 8.1 says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Excellent means famous. Famous. So what is the psalmist declaring? God, how famous is your name in all the earth. And we were singing that earlier. How excellent, how famous is your name. When we were worshiping, the Lord said to my heart, says, if you declare my excellence, my excellence will fill your life. And we are dedica- dedicated here at Faith to declaring the fame of Jesus. We're not trying to build our own name. We're not trying to exalt someone or some family or some couple. We're here to lift up the name of Jesus. We're here to make Jesus famous by being a blessing to neighborhoods and nations. So the operation of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer through his guidance, the fruit of the Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit bring glory, honor, and fame to Jesus. How much more fame can the Holy Spirit bring to Jesus through a group of believers who gather together, believing to experience God and are open to allowing him to do whatever he wants to do. How much more fame can he bring through us together as a body? That when we gather, we come for a purpose. To know that the word of God he's going to give us, or the moving of the spirit that we're going to encounter is going to enable us to live a life every day that brings brings more glory, honor, and fame to Jesus. So we have a model here, and it's experience God. Experience his word, experience his presence, and experience his love. We call our gatherings on Wednesdays and Sundays faith experiences. Now, we didn't just call it because of something new or something different. When I took time before God a number of years ago to see what we are to do here, this phrase came to my heart, and I began to define what is an experience. And the definition I found is an experience is an encounter which a person undergoes and leaves with practical knowledge of what they encountered. It is an experience is an encounter which a person undergoes and leaves with practical knowledge of what they encountered. So when we're saying we want them to experience God, we want them to leave with practical knowledge of his word, practical knowledge of his presence, and practical knowledge of his love. We don't call it a service because it's really not a service for most Christian people. It's a service for the people who showed up early at 9 a.m. before to serve. You have over 100 people serving right now on this campus, so for them, it's a service. But for the other 400 people here, it's an experience. Service in our worship service sense came from an old English word denoting a service of the Christian church, especially one at which no sacrament is given. The word also means ceremony. We're not interested in ceremonies because we serve a living God. We want to provide or create an experience and minister a service. So the purpose of experiences on Wednesdays and Sundays is to present and teach the word of God practically and creatively in a way that everyone can understand. The reason we come to church on Wednesdays and Sundays is not tradition, but is for us to practically, practically and creatively teach the Word of God in a way everybody can understand it. The practical and creative ministry of the Word will train and develop believers to be a blessing to their world. So our whole mission here is not to come and get blessed and go live our lives, but it's to come to receive from God and go make a difference. As you've heard me say, I don't believe the church should be an ivory tower in the community and people say, oh, look, there's the church. Isn't that beautiful? No, we need to receive what we need in the church house and go live our lives and make a difference in our community. So when we say in experiencing his word, we are committed to being a high-level teaching center that trains and develops believers to go beyond themselves and bless neighborhoods and nations. We are a teaching ministry. We will teach the book day in, day out. Not our opinion, not popular culture. We are going to teach the book. Everything we have here is so that people can grow. So we're going to teach it practically and creatively. Why creatively? You tend to remember things that have a creative element to it. And so we'll do different things, different examples, because you'll remember the example, and then it will cause your mind to think about it. We all learn in different ways and one of the ways it's found most helpful is if there's a creative example, people tend to remember that. Because when you look at it, unless it's a tweetable moment, most people share that creative spark. Why? Our God is creative. Creativity is not for outside the church. It's for the church. So we're committed to being a high-level teaching center. In experiencing his presence, we're committed to being a place where the glory of God can dwell so that the Holy Spirit can move and have his way. We're not a church that's ashamed of the Holy Ghost, saying, Holy Ghost, you can only show up on special nights or a special guest. We are Holy Ghost people. So whatever the Holy Ghost wants to do, when he wants to do it, he can do it. There's an old Pentecostal phrase saying, the Holy Ghost can do more in five minutes than we can do in five years. So if the Holy Ghost wants to move, we let him move. We may have an order of experience, but it can all change if the Holy Ghost says, I want to do this. So we're open to every gift, grace, manifestation that he has, because he has been sent to make Jesus famous. and experience His love, we are committed to being a place known for the love of God, where people can find community and be a part of the family of God. A lot of times people talk about faith churches and say, well, yeah, they know the scriptures, they know the Bible, they can quote The Bible, in and out, but they so mean. Oh, holiness people. Yeah, they're holy, but they are nasty and mean. You cannot be holy if you don't walk in love. And so, yes, people should know we know the word of God, but they should also know us for our love. And we're committed that when people come here, they experience the love of God. So over 24 years ago, well, before we get to that, For the last over three years, we have been developing an atmosphere and culture where people can come in and encounter God. A culture and an atmosphere where they can experience His Word, experience His presence, and experience His love. Over 24 years ago, the Lord told Bishop, who founded this church in 1993, to open a church in the Atlanta area. He told them that it would be a place where people who have been hurt by other churches can come and be healed. One of the purposes of this ministry is to heal people who have been hurt by the church. Now, that doesn't just mean people who have attended church or churchy people. There are people who have been hurt by the church that have never gone to church. Because they've seen things in their parents' lives or their grandparents' lives that's called them to run from the church. But we've been called for a purpose in these end times to minister healing to the people who've been hurt by church people. So that means you'll have a unique, eclectic gathering of people that come here. Now, everybody's story may not be I was hurt by church people, but you'll have some people who will arrive so broken because of what they've encountered. And they may walk in these doors and say, this is the last church I'm going to try. The Lord told Bishop over 24 years ago, open this church in the Atlanta area so they have a place to come. You're part of a prophetic purpose to bring healing to the broken. That can only occur in a place where the glory and presence of God dwells and the Holy Spirit can move freely in line with his word. One of the callings and anointings on my life in ministry is to minister healing to the brokenhearted as well as to sick in the body. That calling and that anointing flows throughout this entire church. Go to Luke chapter 4 verse 18. We have methods and strategies that we use to accomplish the purpose God has given us. Luke chapter 4. Verse 18 you see that Jesus went to the place where it's written in the book of Isaiah and he talked about the anointing that's on his life. So from time to time, we have to talk about the anointing that's on this house so that you can believe and use your faith to flow in that anointing. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering a sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. One of the anointings on this church is to bring healing to the brokenhearted, to bring healing to the hurt. God anoints people in churches with different assignments. There is an anointing on this church to teach the word, to heal the brokenhearted, and the sick in body. So go to Matthew chapter 14. This is something that's been on my heart for years, and recently I came across words on how to even better express it. Matthew chapter 14. Let's look at the life of Jesus. Matthew 14. So Matthew 14 is an interesting story. King Herod is throwing a birthday party. To use a 90s reference, music is going on, people are dancing. He's saying, I love it when you call me Big Papa. (laughs) You know, throwback Sunday, use something from the 90s. And so, this girl comes in and she begins to dance. Not praise dance, not worship mime, she began to dance. Drop it like it's hot, back it up, crazy in love, whatever you want to say. That was going on, and she danced so good. King Herod said, whatever you want up to half my kingdom, I'll give it to you. Lord have mercy. A dance giving half the kingdom, that's another message and another subject. And see, the girl had already been coached by her mother who hated John the Baptist. Because he was preaching the word of God and it convicted her and she didn't want him to say those things anymore. So he said, she she coached her daughter on how to dance and after you dance, here's what I want you to ask for. John the Baptist's head on a silver platter. So she requests that. King Herod is grieved because although he didn't always like what John preached, he kept him in prison so he could go preach to him. And so he would listen. Sometimes he'll act, sometimes he wouldn't. He kept them there in order to save John from the wrath of others. But because of the oath he made in front of everybody, because all of his lieutenants were there, all the princes were there, he said, go, told the executioner, go and do it. He gives the head of John the Baptist whom Jesus called the greatest prophet under the old covenant to this young lady. And John's disciples come and bury the body. And they come to bring that news to Jesus. See the things, yes, it would bother Jesus because, yes, John's a great man of God, but John was also his cousin. They're less than a year apart in age. They both have supernatural birth stories. You know they grew up together. They are close. Not only are their family close, but they're close in the purpose of the Holy Ghost. God called them together to do a work. John was supposed to go first, and Jesus would come after him. They're supposed to be a team. So imagine receiving the news from these disciples. John, your cousin, your ministry partner is dead. Herod murdered him. He chopped off his head. Imagine receiving this news. What makes it even worse is John and Jesus didn't end on good terms. John was offended because he was still in prison. He expected Jesus to come and get him out. So he sent his disciples, said, are you the one or do we look for another? And Jesus said, go and tell John again, meaning they had this conversation before. The deaf hear, the blind see, the lame walk, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who's not offended at me. So John was offended at Jesus. We don't know, in light of the scripture, if they ever made up. We don't know, John said, yeah, you're right, I'm tripping. We don't know if that ever happened. So the next news Jesus gets from John's disciples is your cousin is dead. He may have died mad at you. Imagine if that was you. Imagine the emotional turmoil you are experiencing. But what did Jesus do? Look what it says, verse 13. When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place, apart. Jesus went to be by himself. He gets in this boat. Remember, Jesus is 100% God, but he's also 100% man. So you know Jesus is dealing with grief. You know he's weeping. You know he's mentally and emotionally processing everything that's going on. But the crowds followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. Go to Luke chapter 9 because I going to show you another part of the story. So you receive... Horrible news from John's disciples. But before he received these news, days, maybe even weeks before, Luke chapter 9, verse 1. Then he, Jesus, called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases, and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Skip down to verse 10. And the apostles, when they returned, told him all that they had done. They came back and said, the sick are healed, demons are cast out, people are believing in the kingdom of God. So they're bringing him good news, but at the same time, John's disciples are showing up and bringing them horrible news. So at the same moment, Jesus is receiving great news and horrible news. So he tells his disciples, get in the boat and come with me. This is a lot to process for anyone. How many think it would be a lot for you to process? His cousin and forerunner have been murdered. His apostles return with great stories of success. So Jesus takes his team and departs to be alone. See, what we've been doing over the last three years is developing a culture where the presence of God can rest. Because the presence of God, I like what Pastor Stephen Furtick says, The presence of God is not a place to bypass your emotions. It's a place to process them. That you can come into the presence of God as you are and deal with however you are that day. Don't come into the presence of God being fake and acting tough. That's not faith. You come into the presence of God believing that he loves you as much as he loves Jesus and he can meet you where you are. That's how we have to be if we want to fulfill our purpose here at faith to minister to those who've been hurt by church people, who've been hurt by church things. You can come into the presence of God and break. He's not gonna judge you. See, the thing is, people are usually okay in praise. It's faster, they can clap, they can move a little bit. But you see some of those same people, when the worship begins, they kind of just stare. Because worship is intimate. To really enter into worship, you will deal with where you are at that moment because you're coming face to face with God. And a lot of people back up. Because in order to come face to face with God, I have to deal with where I am right now. I have to deal with my issues. I have to deal with my brokenness. And I'm not sure if I'm ready to be vulnerable in the presence of God. So I act tough. I act faith. I might wave my hands a little bit, but I'm just going to stay here. People come to faith at many stages in their life, and many come broken. The presence of God is a safe place where you can break and process your emotions. We want faith to be a place where people can come in and break. What do I mean by break? To come face-to-face with your brokenness, face-to-face with the issues that you have at this point refused to deal with face to face with the pain you tried to bury and hide. See, the thing is, people carry around pain, but because, especially if they grew up in the church, they don't think they can express it because people tell them, you know, you know better. You knew the word, why did you do that? Why did you have all those kids out of wedlock? You knew better. You knew what to do with your marriage, and yet you got divorced. You knew better. You knew drugs were wrong, yet you got high, now you're addicted to meth. You knew better. You knew not to spread those rumors, yet you destroyed a fr- relationship. You knew better. You were taught better financial wisdom, yet you're now you're in debt, swimming up to your neck, and you don't know how you're gonna get out. You knew better. And people come in, yes, even though they knew better, but now they're in a place where they don't know what they're going to do and they think they have to act tough and call it faith. They think they just have to grin and bear it, say the right hallelujah, say the right amen, and let no one know that yes, I need help from the Holy Ghost right now. But what we've been doing is developing a culture that when they walk in, they run into Jesus. That although they may be broken, they run into the one who can heal the brokenhearted. And they have an opportunity to process their emotions. They have a place where they can be healed. Because if people care around their brokenness, and carry around like nothing ever happened, that brokenness will lead them to make decisions that bring burdens on their life and causes them to be yoked with pain, addictions, and darkness. This person now lives a life that is broken, weighed down, and captured by the powers of darkness. But Isaiah ten twenty seven informs us that the anointing is burden removing, yoke-destroying power of the Holy Spirit that came to make Jesus famous. So we have created a place where the anointing can manifest and grow. So when people come in dealing with the pain of a broken life, the pain of past church hurts, the pain of broken relationships, the pain of broken marriages, the pain of broken families, they can be healed and made whole. That they don't feel judged when they walk through these doors. It's like, you want sinners to come to church? Yes. Why? I believe the word works. I don't expect perfect people to show up because there's only one perfect person and his name is Jesus. I expect people to come as they are. Why? Because this is a place where they can be healed. This is a place where they can be made whole. This is a place where they will experience the love of God. So what did Jesus do? as he's processing his emotions, as he's breaking on the inside, but also dealing with the success of the ministry. It says he went forth. Why? A crowd showed up. They had needs. It says he was moved with compassion. He healed their sick. And Mark 6 says he taught them many things. So although Jesus is dealing with the hurt he just experienced, He composed himself. Yes, you may be broken. Yes, there may be things you're trying to recover from. Yes, you may not be where you think you should be yet. But although you encounter the presence of God and God is dealing with you, there comes a day in your life where you have to compose yourself. There may be days at your house where you cry. There may be days when you go to your bedroom and you let it out, but that doesn't mean you have to take it out on everyone else. You don't need to tell your child about his deadbeat dad. You don't need to keep talking about people about how your parents mistreated you or abused you. You don't need to keep talking about what the system did to you. You don't need to keep talking about every bad thing you've experienced that has kept you bound. You can't stay in that depression. You can't stay in that state. You can't stay in that sadness. You can't stay in that place. You have to compose yourself. Somebody needs you. And although we come to faith in many different areas, many different ways, we're not people who says, well, you got to wait five years to your life right until you can actually shake someone's hand at the door. No. Compose yourself. Because Jesus, although he is still dealing with things, gets up because he's moved with compassion, which is love and action, and he begins to minister to people. That although you're still going through that healing process, be moved with compassion and get connected to the vision. Because the thing is, the Bible says, whatever you sow, you're going to reap. So if you sow comfort, you're going to reap comfort. You sow healing, you're going to reap healing. You say, well, I'm not perfect. None of us are. Look at your neighbor and say, you ain't perfect. Look at your other neighbor and say, you already know. But we have to be moved by the same love and help someone. Compose ourselves and move on. See, Acts 20:32 says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you inheritance among them that are sanctified. The anointed word of God and the power of his spirit is able to build you up and strengthen you in your worst moments. So this is a place where people can come broken. They can come as they are. They don't have to come perfect. They don't have to come in looking churchy or knowing the right phrases. They can come in sin and be bound by the devil. But Ephesians chapter 1, 6 says we are accepted in the beloved. So when we came to Jesus in our worst state, he accepted us. But because he loved us so much, he didn't leave us that way. And so when people come to faith, they can come as they are and we can accept them. We want the love of God to be so strong in this place that people feel like they belong before they believe. But the thing is we love them too much to leave them in the state that they are in. We believe as the word is taught, as the Holy Ghost moves, their lives will be transformed and they'll join us in our mission to make Jesus famous in Atlanta beyond by being a blessing to neighborhoods and nations. It's all rooted in the extravagant love of God and the belief that God loves us as much as he loves Jesus and we're called to be carriers and conduits of that love. And see, what's very interesting is all this happens in a desert place, a place that I did not have enough to take care of the people who showed up. Thousands of people showed up. It says, at least 5,000 men. Well, if there's 5,000 men, you know there's women, because some people came with the men to make sure you didn't get their husband. Some people came to find them a husband, and then you got a whole bunch of kids. So you can have ten to 20,000 people there. In a desert place, Jesus taught them all day. He laid hands on the sick all day. And the disciples say, hey, it's getting late. Send them home. There's nothing around here for them to eat. And you know what Jesus said? You give them something to eat. And Andrew, probably because it's very practical, probably like my director of administration says, wait a minute. It says 200 days Pay is not enough to feed all these people. So Jesus, what do you have? He says, we just have this little kid's lunchable. Five pieces of bread, Greek translated as crackers, and two small fish like anchovies. That's all we got. Jesus, bring it to me. Wait a minute, Jesus is still going through something. He's been broken. But the thing is, the bread of brokenness can still feed a multitude when it's put in the hands of Jesus. I'll say that again. The bread of brokenness can still feed a multitude when it's put in the hands of Jesus. You may not be where you want to be in your life today, but if you put yourself in the hands of Jesus. See, Jesus desires the broken heart. Do you know what Psalms tells us? Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and save such as be of a contrite spirit. Psalm 51, 17 says, the sacrifices of God are of a broken spirit, and a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. You might think, who wants a broken heart? But if you give Jesus your broken heart, because he's anointed to heal it, he'll give you back a whole one. If you give Jesus your broken life, he'll grant you one that's better than anything you can dream, and he'll use it to make Jesus famous. But you have to be willing to give him your heart and give him your life and trust him with it. He says, this is all I have, and God says, that's all I've ever wanted. So this is a place where the broken can come be healed and be made whole. This produces a life that has been developed by the practical and creative teaching of the word to be a blessing to neighborhoods and nations. So what does that development look like here at faith? What is the growth track we want people to go through? Well, first, we want people to be saved. If salvation is not the start of the growth track, we don't don't expect people to get saved here. So salvation is a commitment to Jesus. After that, we want them to go to the membership classes. Why? Membership is a commitment to faith. That means they've sought the Lord and believe this is the church they're supposed to go to. After that, we want them to go to Holy Spirit classes. What is that? It's our classes where we prepare them to serve, and that's a commitment to service. We want them to join faith groups, which is a commitment to community. We want them to go through our Faith Bible Institute, which is a commitment to development. We want them to become a faith group leader, which is a commitment to discipleship. So why are faith groups a part of this growth trap? Now, as some of you know, I grew up at this church. This church has been connected to my life since it started. The reason I moved to Atlanta is because my family was coming to help start the church. My dad was the first music minister. My mom volunteered did the membership classes. And because at the very beginning we didn't have enough volunteers, I came early with my dad to help him set up Children's Church. I lived here for about 10 years. And then the summary for my senior year, the Lord let us know we're supposed to move back to Michigan. And so the Lord told me right before we left that I was coming back here. He put it in my heart that I was supposed to be the pastor of this church. I'm 17. You know, I learned enough from Joseph so I didn't tell nobody. <laughs> Did not say a word. kept it. <laughs> and so I go on live my life, go to min- graduate high school, go to ministry school, go to Oral Roberts University. I come one summer, I intern here. Pastor Andre talks about it briefly. Go back to ORU, kind of forget about it. I'm in college, focusing on different things. And I remember my junior year, I was having a conversation. First lady, we were dating at the time. She was in the conversation, one of my best friends. I said, I have this overwhelming feeling right now that I'm supposed to go back to Atlanta and pastor the church. It was a junior year. The feeling left, so I kept moving on with life. And then I moved back here in 2013. I'm installed as pastor almost 10 years after God told me I was supposed to be the pastor of this church. And so my whole life has been connected to what goes here at Faith Christian Center Smyrna. It's been in my heart, because even after we left, we would talk about this church wherever we went. My wife would say, says, they love the Smyrna Church because that's all they talk about. Me, my parents, my brothers, we would talk about this church because it was always in our heart. And so when we get to faith groups, that I was never a person that liked faith groups. Up until recently, the last one I went to, I was 10 years old. I took a 20-year break. I went to other churches, and they said, hey, join our subgroup, join our small group. It's like, nope, I'm good. Talk about multiple churches across the United States. It's like, nope, I'm good. I, I, I'm taking a break. Long, long, long break. And so we always wanted to be a feeling of community here, so we tried different types of groups off and on over the last few years, and nothing began to work. And so I was praying about it. I was open to it. I made my, my opinions on it very open to my staff. And so I was driving to an event with our youth pastor and we began to talk about what type of groups work. And so we developed a system and a program that we believe is what we need where we are at faith. And so we developed faith groups that are different than ones you may have experienced at other churches or experienced at this church 10 years or so ago. Because we have four different types of groups. The whole purpose of faith groups is to be an extension of my heart and Lady Raquel's heart to love you the way Jesus loves you. And so the faith groups we have are group. We have curriculum groups, message groups, activity groups. Here, activity group leader, and prayer groups. Now, one of the things about these groups is that they are as various and as diverse as we are. A message group will be based on messages we teach on Sundays. Activity groups can be anything from exercise groups, foodie groups. Was a foodie group. People just like to eat, so they go to different restaurants every other week. You have those groups. Then you have curriculum groups. We have two curriculum groups. One of them right now is based on the five love languages. Then you have prayer groups where we get together and pray. There are different types of groups, and you can join whichever group you want. You can go to as many groups as you want, because what we want to do is have groups that form a greater sense of community and family here at Faith. We don't want just people to slip in and slip out. We want to know you're here because we want to love you like Jesus loves you and help you on that process. So if you show up broken, you don't have to stay that way. You know there are groups of people who love you and are willing to work with you to get you to the place where you're supposed to be. Acts 2, 40 through 42 tells us that the early church dedicated themselves to four things. The teaching of the apostles, fellowship, eating meals together, and prayer. Under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, half of the early church's dedication was to forming community. Community was important for the church then, and it's important for the church now. So you know the Holy Ghost had to deal with my heart if I started faith groups. You should have saw my staff's face, say, Yeah, we're about to do faith groups here. They're like, They're like, Well, so-and-so must have talked to them. No. Nah. I'm just glad I can hear from the Holy Ghost. (laughs) And so, we're doing it in a different way that works in today's culture that can be a blessing to today's people. It's not a way that we use it to multiply the church. You have to multiply your group. It's a vehicle to love you because we want people to experience the love of God. So afterwards, we have 13 faith group leaders and their groups represented in the lobby so you can see the different ones we have offered so far so that you can join and experience the love of God. So where are we going with this commitment of what we want people to experience when they come here, what we teach them with the faith groups? Where are we going? We are committed to being a multi-generational church that is a church home for all people of every race, creed, and national origin. We are committed to building strong families by the practical teaching of the Word of God. In order to be a multigenerational church, we have to be a ministry that is committed to building strong t- families by the practical teaching of the Word. So how do we accomplish that? People say, oh, we have to build a giant building somewhere. No, you don't. I'm not in a church building contest with anybody. I'll say this again, I'm not in a church building contest with anybody. Let whoever they want have their nice building. Good, praise God, I'm praying for you. But I'm going to do what God wants us to do here. So that means I'm not going to be intimidated by anybody because the only person I'm in competition with is the call on my life. You hear me? The only person I'm in competition with is the call that's on my life. Because when I stand before Jesus, he's not going to say, well, this person did that, this person did that. He's going to say, did you do what I told you to do? And where it's concerned with my life in this church, I'll say, yes, sir. Because I'm going to get well done, thou good and faithful servant. So I'm not worried about what everyone else may say. I'm going to get well done from Jesus. Because everyone else might say, oh, y'all wouldn't be able to make it. People rooted against us. People said we weren't going to make it. People are going to say we're going to fail. But guess what, baby, we here. And our best is yet to come. We haven't seen anything yet. What God has for Faith Christian Center is for Faith Christian Center. And it will all come to pass. So don't be stressed. Don't be worried. People try to say, well, this is going on in this other church. Well, God bless you. We're so happy for you. I ain't mad at nobody. Why? I've been teaching this for over three years. Forgive everybody of everything. I have to do what I teach. So I'm not offended. I'm not bothered. I'm not mad at anybody who left. You go where God wants you to go because you may have just been preparing the place for the people God wants to send in. I was talking to one of my friends. He's not a minister, but he's a very high up in the business world, and he said, Carrick, think about this. This church may have to go through changes so that it can be prepared for what God actually wanted it to do. So God may have to prune you and change some things to get the place ready for what he wants to do. And this place is ready for what God wants to do. We are prepared to make Jesus famous in Atlanta and beyond by being a blessing to neighborhoods and nations. We are going to heal broken people. We're going to raise them up, raise up broken families, raise up broken people for the glory of Jesus, not the glory of any man. We are here to lift up Jesus. We are here for a purpose. And so we're building a debt-free building on our 24.4 acres of land. We are only using, I call it phase one, because we're only using nine acres of the 24.4 acres. So again, go ahead, and put it, if you're here earlier, you saw it already, but go ahead and put it up on the screen so they can see it. I'm not building the Vatican. I'm building the Taj Mahal. Why? I don't need the Vatican or the Taj Mahal. I'm building what we need as a church. And so as you see it, you'll see more and more about it as we get closer to it. We're building a 3D model within the next three weeks or so, which will be in the lobby so you can take a look at it. These are just some of the architect's renderings. And so we're building a place. And one of the things I've been researching over the last three years, I even went to the fastest growing church in America and asked them and learned from them. They're so open and taught me different things. And one of the things I keep learning, I talk to Bishop about, is that you really don't want to build a large building unless you need it. Why? Do you know the utilities? Think about the utilities you pay in your house. Multi- multiply it by 100. That's what we pay every month here. And so we're building what we need. And so in the beginning of next year, we're going to open our headquarters in Austell. Notice I said the word headquarters. Because it may not happen next year, but it's going to happen soon on the horizon. We're going to open up another church on the south side in the Fayetteville-Peachtree City area. We're going to open up a church in Atlanta proper. We're going to open up a church on the east side. We're going to open up a location in Chattanooga. We're going to open up other places across our region so that we can fulfill the mission God has given us. So this new building, phase one, is the first step. Phase one has one chief purpose. You want to know what it is? Get on that land. That is the number one purpose. Because from there, we can do everything God has called us to do. We've researched the strategy. Well, how do you have an effective multi-site church in this year? We've been taught well. We know what to do. And as the Holy Ghost says it's time, we will do it. We're not in a rush to do it, but we will do it. You, gotta say, you would say, well, if you've been here a long time, you've heard this again and again. Why? It's the purpose of this church. One of the things that even Dad Hagen and Bishop Mac Timberlake years ago prophesied is that this church will have locations in the north, south, east, and the west that it would affect the city and be a lighthouse in the darkness. We will fulfill the purpose and the mission God has given us here. We will do what God has called us to do, and nobody, no man, no organization can stop us. Because my faith is not in the ability of men. It's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by his spirit. And if we're a place to let the Holy Ghost do whatever he wants to do, to exalt the name of Jesus, don't you know the Holy Ghost will take care of whoever he needs to take care of? So this is where we're going. This is what we're doing. And we will fulfill the call of God. The Lord didn't send me here just to be a part of the story. He sent me here to fulfill it. He didn't send you here to be a part of the story. He sent you here to fulfill it. He sent you here to be key people as we go into the place God has called us to do. Go into a place where God has called us to be. We are a family. We are faith. We are love people because we are faith. We are here to heal the brokenhearted because we are faith. We have to look upon our horizons and gaze into eternity. Because the days ahead are greater than the ones we leave. Just wait and see. We are faith and our best is yet to come. Stand to your feet. So, we'll give you more updates this fall as we get closer to different things. We're we'll also forming what we're calling the Horizon Team. Why would we say Horizon? Because we're looking at our horizon. When you use that phrase, that means it's something that soon that's about to happen. Because we have very strategic and creative ways that we're going to reach out to our new community to be a blessing. And we'll start some of those things in October, but some of the greatest plans of it in January. So listen out for things about the Horizon team because we want everyone to be a part. Amen. Wherever we'll will head bow, everybody close in prayer. No, one moving or walking unless you've been assigned to do so. this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.